Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Week series. Welcome if you're just jumping on board with us. If you've been following along, then this quiz is for you. But if you're just jumping on board, you know, we understand you, don't, you, you, won't, you won't have this quiz figured out yet. Um, who can remember all the way back to week one of Neighborly? That would be three weeks ago. Boom, boom, boom. Three weeks ago. Three Sundays ago. Anybody remember what we talked about? Me neither. That's okay. That's all right. No offense taken. So let's just try to guess at it if we don't know it exactly. Anybody can guess back to what Neighborly week one might have been? Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Is it, how many people think that's right? Who is your neighbor? Show of hands. I see a lot of hands up. Is anybody cheating and looking it up online? That's cool if you are. That would help us to know if we're right. All right. All right. Well, so if that was week one, what was week two? Anybody know what week two was? Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Week two, I think, was who is your neighbor. That was last week. Last week, we preached about who is your neighbor. Y'all got one week memory right there. What was week one? We're going back to week one. Pastor Ricky, what do you think week one was? He's trying to cheat. That's why I was calling on you. I thought you might. <laughs> love your neighbor. I think you're right. I think you're right. So week one was love your neighbor, but then week two was, well, who is the neighbor we're called to love? We're in, uh, I hope that's right. If it's not right, you'll, you'll find out when you check it out online. We're in week three, and we're, t- we're talking about when is the right time. Say that with me. When is the right time? And that's the question we're going to try to answer this morning. When is the right time to actually display love to our neighbors, right? And so that's what we're going to look at. So join with me in the same passage that we've been in. I'm in uh, Luke chapter 10 in the 25th verse. Let me hear amen when you get there. Okay, one amen. I know there's some others. All right, there it is, there it is, there it is. And if you need more time, no worries, you'll catch up right with us. But I'm in Luke chapter 10 in the 25th verse. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This might sound familiar if you've been following along the last couple weeks. Stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and, they went and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too there was a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, 
And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, I pray right now that you would just bless the word that was read as we unpack this, as we seek to follow through your scriptures to understand more of how we know when is the right time to respond. I pray, Lord God, that you would call to mind opportunities that we will each have, have already had, and will have again in the days ahead, that we can say yes to you, as Courtney said, we can say yes to you in response to the invitation for us to respond. Lord, we love you. We're seeking to understand more of what you have for us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are many rational or, or, uh, or there, are, there are oftentimes when we have rational reasons why we don't do the right thing. Now, that sounds a little bit crazy, right? Because we all understand, like, should you or should, thumbs up, thumbs down, right? There's only two options. Should you or should you not do the right thing? Let's all see. Let's all participate together. Thumbs up, thumbs down, right? So we all get it, right? So from the time we're itty-bitty, we've been told by, by parents and, and teachers and, and mentors and, and youth pastors and pastors and everywhere else around us that we should do the right thing, that doing the right thing is the right thing to do. But how many of us, if we took a moment right now, we could think of a reason why we would not do the right thing in, in some circumstance? How many of us could think of a reason why? We could justify it in our mind, right? Right? I could give you some examples if you're having a hard time thinking of some, but we've all had plenty of opportunities to do something, to, to actually participate with something that, that we believed was right, and yet we reserved. No? Some of y'all looking at me like, no, you never, you always just jumped out and did the right thing, right? Like, so, you know, all right, so here you go. Here's an example. I was, uh, we, we were just out in Colorado. We had a great time. Thank you, church, for, for sending the pastoral team out there for our time of study. We had a great time. But I was up late one night because I was on Philly time, but it was in Colorado time or something. My body was just all a mess. And so I'm up and I'm watching the news out there. I don't even watch the news in Philly. I don't know why I was watching news in Colorado, but maybe I couldn't figure out how to use the remote or something. So I was watching the news out there. And here came the hero. They, they do a news sec, uh, uh, a blurb in their, on a news report of the hero of the day. And their hero of the day was this 35, 40-year-old man who was driving down the road, and he saw a car who veered off the road and tumbled into a stream. The car literally was upside down in the stream. Now, he had to make an immediate decision. Do I stop my car and help the person get out, help the, help the other person get out of their car, or do I just keep it moving? So what do you think the right thing to do is? Come on, y'all. Nobody was listening to that story. This is not a, this is not a trick story, man. This is, this is straightforward. There's a car that is upside down and submersing in water. You're driving by. What's the right thing to do? Stop and help, right? Well, lo and behold, this man jumps out of the car. I imagine he stops his car first. He jumps out of the car. He runs to the stream and he begins to fish this woman out of the driver's seat of the car. Hero of the day, right? He did the right, come on. If you were upside down, you wish that man was nearby. Hero of the day, come on, come on. He did the right thing. 
Well, to make this story even better, and you can't make this kind of stuff up, um, to make the story even better, the, the young lady who he fished out of the car was driving at a high speed because she was trying to get away from the police. She had just robbed the local store. True story. She had just robbed the local store. So the man fished her out, and she was so excited that she was alive, and then the police pulled up, and she was arrested. She was arrested. And so he was a hero twice over. The store owner was thankful for him, and uh, the police were thankful for him, and the young lady was still alive. So that was it. So there, we, we all have many opportunities to do the right thing, and we have to choose in those moments, oftentimes instantaneously. But, but many times what we do, or at least what I've done, and, and maybe I've read stories about other people who have done it, is we have justified reasons why it's not right for us to respond right away or to do something right right away or it's not the right time or, or it's too inconvenient or, or we, we've come up with some kind of reason that has stalled the process. Here, I'll, I'll invite you to think through this with me. Do you remember the last time that you had an opportunity to lift someone else's situation? Maybe it would cost you a whole lot, but do you remember the last time that you had an opportunity to make somebody else's situation better? I'll, tell you, I'll give you an example. Somebody who's really good at that is uh, Mr. Tom. Mr. Tom is really good at this. Um, Tom uh, oftentimes comes to church with a small bag of pennies. And it's because many of, many of months ago I preached a sermon, and in that sermon I shared that our youngest son, Tommy, loves coins. So Tom goes out of his way, oftentimes on a Sunday morning, to gather up a small, you know, 20, 30, uh, 20 or 30 pennies and brings them in and gives them to Tommy. And every time Tommy gets a bag of pennies, like his life gets better. Like he is just thankful and he is excited. And if you know Tommy, you know what thankful and excited looks like when he gets it. And he runs around with a bag of pennies and, and, and literally his situation is lifted. That's an opportunity that Tom has taken to do that. When was the last time you can think of an opportunity you've had to lift someone else's situation? Maybe something as simple as that, or maybe uh, a similar story to the man out in Colorado, though maybe not the person running away from the police. Um, here's another way to think about it. Have you ever done something worthy of an apology, but no one knew you did it? Have you ever done something that you're like, man, if anybody knew this happened, I'd really have to own it. I'd have to apologize for it. I'd have to go and, and make it right. But nobody knew you did it. Did you still own it? Did you still go? Did you still seek to make it right? Even though there was no, uh, uh, like there was no governing authority making you make it happen, right? So like when I do something wrong at home and, and, and you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm short or I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm too quick to respond. Like, y'all don't know it. Yeah, yeah, Sunday morning church doesn't know about it. But I still need to go and be like, hey, Michelle, I'm sorry. Hey, Isaiah, I'm sorry. Hey, Nate, I'm sorry. Cadence, Tommy, the whole crew. Third one, here's another option. Was there ever an occasion where doing the right thing was going to cost you a lot? Did you do it? Did you do it? You know, if you think all the way back to when you were in grade school, do you remember that last time you didn't study for your test, but you sat close to the person who did? 
Some of y'all didn't know I knew about that, huh? Yeah, 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 see? When was the last time it was going to cost you a lot to do the right thing? Did you choose to do it? I mean, that's the story that we're looking at here as we read through um, the passage in Luke, right? We see the story with, the, with, with three different expressions of opportunities to do the right thing. So join back with me in Luke chapter 10, and, uh, and you'll, you'll, you'll follow along the story. The first character in the story um, who has the opportunity to do the right thing is a... Come on, somebody, I know somebody read this story. I've been reading it for four weeks. All right, it's the priest, the priest, right? The priest is the first one who has the opportunity to do the right thing. And we all read the story and we say, how dare that priest not do it? I mean, I know y'all look at me when y'all read that. You're like, priest, and you'll look up and you're like, well, he's not a priest, but he's a pastor. He should do the right thing, right? And so we're quick to be like, man, those people, the clergy, they should do the right thing. Well, look, let me give you a little background real quick. So um, the priest probably wanted to do the right thing. I just think that, in general, we as people want to do the right thing. So let's not, let's, not, let's not remove the priest from that space. Let's assume that he wanted to do the right thing as well. And he started to think to himself, potentially dead body. And then church. And see, there was this little thing in the Levitical law that suggested that the priest who would deal with the sacraments of the church, could not become unclean by being exposed to a dead body. And so if he had done the right thing in that moment, he might have jeopardized doing the other right thing that he felt very called and and, and responsible for. And so he weighed the two options. Do I do the right thing or do I not? I mean, if I don't do the right thing, I'm still going to do a right thing, but maybe the right thing would be to go help this man, but uh, somebody else will come along and help him. And he ran back to his responsibilities at the church. And we could sit here and we could think to ourselves, how dare he do that? But most of us don't identify with priests. We don't identify with pastors and church leaders. You know, we kind of look at them and we say, okay, they have a different responsibility to us. So Jesus continues the story with the expert at the law and says, well, it wasn't just a priest. There was also this other guy who passed by. Who was he? He was a Levite. Now, here's, the, here's, here's an interesting sidebar, right? So the Levites were responsible. Ooh, cup down. The Levites were responsible for the caring of the temple. And so the Levites, as a people group, were responsible to do all of the care work for the temple. The priest was responsible for the inner works of the temple, right? And so the Levites had responsibilities for things like, you know, how does, how, you know, in, in our setting today, like, you know, how clean is the building? You know, how does the grass look? How's the paint going, right? Are the doors unlocked, right? And you start thinking, man, I, I know a lot of people in the church who are responsible for things like that. They all help out with that kind of thing, right? And so all of us are in some ways, you know, responsible in, for, for those areas of the church. And so um, there was a lower expectation. So the, the idea of like, do I get too close to the dead body? Am I going to pollute the inner, inner, inner circle? That wasn't a concern for the Levites. So you say, okay, well, so why didn't he do it? Like, he had an opportunity. And, and maybe, maybe you feel a little more akin, a little more personal to the Levite, right? Like, all right, I'm not a priest. I'm not a pastor. I'm not going to stand up there in front of everybody and, and, and speak the holy word. But, but I feel a little more common man on the street kind of person to the Levite. Like, hey, we got this 
in common. And I, and I dare say that the expert in the law was likely a Levite himself. So as Jesus is talking to the expert in the law, he's like kind of saying, hey, one of you went by, right? No, not, not the priest guy, but, but also somebody who looked just like you went by. Somebody who shared in the same responsibilities you do went by. What do you think he did? And the, the expert in the law hears the story and recognizes that, that even the Levite, the common man, he doesn't help. When we hear that part of the story about the Levite, we, we recognize that there was an opportunity to do the right thing. So why didn't he do it? Well, maybe, maybe the cost was too high, right? We actually know from the rest of the story that there was a, a financial cost to this. We also know that there was like a practical, like I've got to go out of my way cost to this, right? We hear the rest of the story where the Samaritan comes by, picks up the man, puts him on his donkey, which, by the way, meant that he was no longer on the donkey. He was carrying, he had, to, he had to walk alongside of the donkey the rest of the way, puts him on the donkey, gets him into town, takes care of him for the day, and then pays somebody to take care of him for two more days, right? That's an interruption to your schedule, amen? Right? You had somewhere you were going, right? Just imagine you're on the beat, man. You got somewhere you're trying to get to. And imagine an opportunity to do the right thing comes, away, comes along, but it's going to require you to interrupt your day. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? I mean, this is a real question. This is a real thing for us to wrestle through and think about. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to find a way to look at that in just a second. But, but I want you to get this picture. The priest and the Levite both had to make the same decision that the Samaritan did. Now, let me give you one more piece of background before we get into some other text this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9 in the 51st verse. This is not going to be on the screen. Luke chapter 9 in the 51st verse. You're going to need to find it somewhere else, or you're going to need to listen to it while I read it, and then read it when you get home. But this story is a story that takes place in Jesus' life just before, maybe, maybe, maybe weeks, you know, maybe days before he has the encounter with the expert in the law. This is Luke chapter 9. Listen to this. I'm in verse 51. As the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In other words, he was on the beat. He had somewhere to be. He knew what was coming next. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for Jesus. But the people there did not welcome him. Let me say this again. Jesus is on the beat. He's got somewhere to go. He's got to get to Jerusalem. And he got, he's passing through Samaria. And the Samaritan people reject Jesus coming into town. Pause for a moment before I read you the rest of the story. Be, be Jesus or any of Jesus' people in that moment. How are you feeling about this? You were on your way somewhere. You knew you needed to stop for the night. And the place you were going to stop for the night said, we don't want you here. We don't want you here. How do you feel about it? Angry, frustrated, put out, a little disappointed, rejected. Yeah, yeah, like, like the word I came up with is jaded. I feel jaded. I feel like, that's it. like I'm pointy on the inside. I'm like an inverted porcupine, right? Like you get close, you know, I just, I feel the pricks inside, right? And so here's the rest of the story. Verse 54, when the disciples, James and John, saw 
what had happened, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy these people? Hey, listen, now, now I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm feeling on the inside. Yeah, that's the porcupine. Drop the firebomb, God. You know, like the disciples are like, Jesus, we can handle this. We know if we cry out to the Father, boom. Now, this story gets skipped over so quickly, right? Because you recognize that the disciples are asking out of their flesh, right? They're like, God, they're, Jesus, they're rejecting you. They reject you. They reject me. Let's get them. Right? And we just know that that's not how Jesus rolls, right? And so here's Jesus' response. Jesus turns and rebukes them. He rebukes them. Not the people who said no to coming in town, but the disciples who were like, I'll defend you to the point of firebombs from heaven. And Jesus says, no, no, no. He rebukes them, and they go on a different path. And then we pick up in the next chapter, and Jesus is telling a story. And who is the hero of the story? Come on, thank you, Sue. Who was the hero of the story? The Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. Hence the title, The Good Samaritan. They're the hero of the story, right? But what did I just tell you about Jesus' encounter with the Samaritans? It was just days ago when they were like, Jesus, don't come through our town, right? And yet Jesus doesn't get jaded at them. He still takes the opportunity to lift them up in the story that he's telling. He could have told the story about anybody, right? He could have made the Levite the hero. He could have made the priest the hero. He could have made, but he tells the story about the Samaritan. And he says the Samaritan did the right thing. Why am I pointing that out before we go to these other texts? Because this, I want us to hear this. A bad experience didn't stop Jesus from lifting up others. So how would our response, how should our response be? Where do you see an opportunity in your daily occurrence to do the right thing? Ask yourself that question. We're going to look at a few, a few uh, different passages of scripture now to give us some points for this morning's message. If you turn with me to Esther chapter 4, Esther chapter 4, we're going to find our first point that plays off of this story. Esther chapter 4 in the first verse. Let me hear amen when somebody gets there because I'm about to throttle up and get moving. All right, here we go. Esther chapter 4 in the first verse. When Mordecai learned, I'm in verse 1 of chapter 4, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province in which, uh, to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing. Many lay in sackcloths and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of the sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, and assigned, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai. 
So Hathak went, went out to Mordecai in the open square in the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman uh, was promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for the annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to, to show to Esther the, and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go to the king's presence, to beg for mercy, and to plead for him, plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces were, excuse me, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends a gold scepter to, to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family, you will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. If you're not familiar with the story, you can read, you can read through the whole, chat, the whole story. But, but let, me, let me sum it up this way. Esther was presented with an opportunity where she needed to say yes or no to doing the right thing. But the right thing was going to come at a great expense. It had the potential to come at her life. She got the word that she should go to the king and she should, she should um, uh, mediate on behalf of her people and stand in the gap. And she said, but if I go there without the king asking me to come... He has a law that says he has the right to kill me. So you're saying the right thing to do is to go plead on behalf of my people, but if I go plead on behalf of my people, I might die. I might be put to death. And she gets a word back from her advisor who says, who knows? You maybe were made for a time just like this. I want to say to us this morning, as we look for the interruptions in our life that we call opportunities to do the right thing, the first point I want to make to you this morning is you were called to do good. You were called to do good. On, uh, on Friday nights at the Philadelphia Project, Courtney, who led us in worship today, also preaches when the groups are in, and she shares a message that comes out of Ephesians Chapter 2 in the 10th verse, this is what it says. It says, for we are God's handiwork, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we were crafted by God to do the right thing, which he's already set in motion for us to be able to do. That's the same thing that Mordecai said to Esther. He said, don't worry, if you don't want to do the right thing, it's okay. Someone else will come along and do it. But you and your, your family, 
you might pay a real price for that. You might, you might, well, you might not make it. And so Esther wrestles with the, how do I know whether or not to do the right thing? And, and, and Paul says to the church, you were created to do the right thing. It's your DNA. It's what, it's what flows inside of you. It's how you were created. How do I know that? Because God kicked it in motion. He set you up to be able to. He's the one who's putting the desire within you to do the right thing, right? And you say, the wrestle that I'm having, well, the wrestle that you're having isn't whether God wants you to do the right thing or not. It's whether you want to pay the cost of doing the right thing. Now, I know somebody out there has wrestled with this before. I know somebody out there at some point in their life has asked the question of like, is it worth it to do the right thing? And you sat there on your couch, in your car, in your office, or wherever you were, and you thought about whether or not to do the right thing. Well, let me say again to you today, you were created and called to do good. To do good. So when in doubt, do what's right. Just do what's right. I don't know how all the rest of it's going to work out, but I know that the step I take going forward is one that's dedicated to Jesus. I'm going to do what's right. And as I do that, God will begin to line up the other things in my life. Galatians chapter 6 in the seventh verse. Let's turn there quickly. Galatians chapter 6 in the seventh verse. Paul's writing to the church. I didn't hear an amen yet. Paul's writing to the church. Come on, go eat popcorn, right? Go eat popcorn. If you're not sure where you're at, get, get, go eat popcorn. Gee, Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 in the seventh verse. Do not be deceived, church. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I mean, whoever sows to please their flesh, I know I'm preaching to somebody today. Whoever sows to please their, fle to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will all, we will all reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? That sounds so comforting right now. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. Paul's charge to the church is to go do the right thing. But do it for who? Do it for Christ to whom? Do good to all people. Let me say this again to us, church. He doesn't just say, do good to people who like you. He doesn't just say, do good to people who, who are kind to you. He doesn't just say, do good to the people who worship amongst you. Though he does say, 
do especially good to your family of believers. But he calls us to do good to all people, that the extension of the goodness of God, watch this, would be expressed through you as a witness to God's goodness to the lost. Let me say that again. The extension of the goodness of God would be expressed through who? Through you. Through you. Come on, y'all. The extension of the goodness of God would be expressed through who? Through you. Through us. Through the church. That we would bear witness to the goodness of God by being good to the lost. To the lost. There's somebody you know who doesn't know Jesus, and they need to see Jesus through the goodness of you. There's somebody you know who is lost, who is on their way to eternity, separated from God forever. And the hope that they're looking for is found expressed by your goodness, by your willingness to go above and beyond, by your willingness to extend the hand, by your willingness to say yes, as Courtney said, by your willingness to say yes to the invitation that God gives us. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the question. Are we being good to others and especially to the lost? To the lost. Man, Lord, use my tongue not to cut someone down, but to build someone up and especially to build up those who are lost. That they might know your goodness. Use my gifts to encourage, but especially to encourage the lost, that they might come and see. Use our church to encourage one another, to edify the body, but especially to be winsome to the lost. So God, give us an opportunity to do right. Charge us, call us, gift us to be able to say yes, to do good to all people. Now, there's some ways, church, that we are really, really good at that. Let's take a moment and just celebrate those. When, when COVID hit, we, uh, we, with the rest of the world, went into a crisis mode. And one of our staff people, Amy Carl, was, was well-equipped to walk us through a major, the, the major crisis, not just for our church, not just for Roxborough as a community, but for our entire city. And Amy led the charge to serve as an outlet for the entire city to come and receive what they would need in order to proceed through these days. We became a food resource for our entire city. Matter of fact, I was on a plane on my way to Colorado, and I met a pastor who was from a suburb of Philly. And he said, you don't know me, but I know you because I've been coming to your church every week for the last 18, 15 months, and I've been picking up boxes of food to take back to my church. What an amazing story. And I was just like, man, Amy needs to hear that and be, and be reminded. But church, we need to be reminded, right? We are really good in many ways at doing good for others. We had no idea how to do this thing standing here in the middle of the room. We had no idea how to do this. There was not any of us in this room who were like, I have an idea how to work cameras, and I have an idea how to make these things operate online. But through the help, initially through the help of Christina Gomez, celebrate her for a minute. Woo, woo, Christina Gomez. 
And then extending that help from Christina through her husband, Ricky, we've been able to figure out, okay, how do we get online so we can get into people's houses for those who aren't ready to come out? And especially when times when we weren't able to have people in, how could we make sure that church was getting, uh, that, we were, that we were communicating across all the channels that we could? And, and, and why did we do that? Because we wanted to do good for all people, right? Both within the body and those outside of the body. I told you all this story. I was in Kohl's. Uh, I, I, no, I was in ShopRite. I bumped into a, a young lady who was there, and she said, hey, Pastor Ray, and she reminded me of my sermon from Easter Sunday. I said, oh, my goodness. I don't know who you are, but this is great. And then she said, I said, I said oh, it's so good. I'm glad you've been following along these stories. And I was like, we're open in person. She was like, I know, but I can, I can do church at home in my pajamas. And I was like, well, I'm glad we could bring it to you that way at least, right? But, but come join us in person as soon as you're ready. But, but we figured out how to do good and extend that beyond our church to as far as we could reach. Church, we're made for this. You were made for this. The reason why it irritates you that the, that the Levite didn't respond the way you wanted him to, the reason why it irritates you that the priest didn't respond the way you wanted him to is because you were made for this. You were made to respond this way, and so you know internally that they were made to respond this way too, and they didn't. How dare you? <laughs> Jesus' half-brother wrote a book in the Bible in James chapter 4. You can turn there with me now. James chapter 4 in the 17th verse. So, you notice we were just laughing, right? And it kind of felt good. Here's, this is the transition moment. James chapter 4 and the 17th verse. He, now, let me, let me explain this before you read it. James only, he's, he's not writing to the lost. His letter is not written to those people who don't know Jesus. His letter is meant to be read in the church. It's written to believers. So, hear this. If anyone then, I'm in verse 17, Amen. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, dot, dot, dot. Don't read any further. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it. No, 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 not yet, Tom, not yet, not yet. I want us to live with this moment. Have, has, has there ever been a moment in your life where you knew the good that you ought to do and you didn't do it? I need you to own this before you read it. I mean, has there ever been a moment where you had the opportunity to do what's right and you chose not to? You chose not to for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe your image was on the line, you know, like I could defend somebody who was being bullied, but if I did that, then, then I look, you know, maybe my, my, my image is on the line or, or you know, maybe, maybe you had an opportunity to do something great, but it was going to cost you too much. Or I was driving down the road one time and I saw somebody who, who's, whose tire blew out literally while they were next to me and, and I just watched them drift to the side of the road and I just kept going. Like, did you ever have the opportunity to do the right thing and you chose not to? Because if you didn't, have, if that's never happened to you, then you don't need to listen to me anymore. Don't listen to this part. I mean, come back after, after this next point, but don't listen to this point. But if you've ever had the opportunity to do the right thing and you chose not to, I just need you to hear this. I didn't write it. It affects me the same way it affects you. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. It is why Jesus died. It's on the same scale as the big bads that you think about. Right? 
So somehow, choosing to withhold the goodness of God is the equivalent of what put Jesus on the cross, right? He died because you and I chose to withhold the goodness of God, right? It is sin. But I think oftentimes, we justify. We come up with a whole lot of reasons why we didn't do the right thing. And James is essentially saying, holding back our good is sinful. Withholding your good is sinful. Can you hear that this morning? Now, now look, I don't want you to think, oh, man, somber is coming over me. The pastor Ray is going to send me out on Sunday morning. I'm going to feel awful. We're going to turn it around. The ship is going to sail. Hold on. But let's identify this. When we make the decision to withhold our good, we're not just saying, what's best for me? We're actually saying, I'm okay with actively sinning. When we make the decision to withhold what's good, the equivalent to what we're saying is, I'm okay with sinning. Because James has clearly told us, that choosing to withhold your good is sinful. So what do we do with that? Turn over to the book of Romans in the 12th chapter. The book of Romans in the 12th chapter. Like I said, I, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to turn it around. We're going we're gonna to write the ship. This is what it says, Romans chapter 12 in the 21st verse. Amen when you get there. Come on, come on. Amen when you get there. If you got your own book or one of our books, underline this because you're going to want to remember this verse. It's meant for you. It's meant for you, and it's meant for you today. Do not be overcome by evil. He's writing to the church, to believers, to new converts, to people who are recognizing right now that withholding our good is sinful. He says, do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by sin. But overcome evil with what? With good. Overcome evil with good. Mordecai writes to Esther, you were made for a day just like this. Go do what's right. Pastor stands up here preaching his brain out and saying, hey, y'all, you were made for a moment just like this. Get up from here today and go and do what's right. God, affix my eyes on your desires. Give me plenty of opportunities. And on every opportunity you put in front of me, help me to understand that you designed me for a moment like this so I could express your goodness. Yeah, it's going to cost me something. It might interrupt my day. It might, it might cause me, it might cause me uh, you know, to, 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 have to have to alter what I was going to do, or it might cause me to, to have to give somebody else what was meant for me, what I thought was meant for me. But at the end of the day, I am called and created by God to do what? To do good. How do I know? Because he's already aligned my steps for it. He's already brought the opportunities along. He's already discerned and decided how in which I could express his goodness. So may our good overcome evil. May our good overcome evil. Friends, I want to help you apply this message this morning. 
And the way I want to do it is this. I want to ask you to first think back. Was there a recent opportunity that you had to do good and you let it pass by? And if there were, in the spot where you're sitting, not me, not your neighbor, can we have a moment just with God to say, hey, God, I was overcome actually by evil in that moment. I let evil win that moment. Father, in this moment, I want to invite us to be able, before the band comes up or any movement happens, I want to just invite us, God, to be able to repent. Not repenting for things we've done, repenting for moments when we didn't do. God, I'm sorry. God, we confess that there were opportunities we had. Maybe there's one that's specific in our mind right now. And we confess to you, God, that we knew that was a moment to do good. And for whatever reason, whether the, whether the cost was too great, whether fear gripped us, maybe it was too inconvenient, God, or maybe we just didn't believe that we actually could, even though we knew that it was what was right. We didn't believe that we could do it. We didn't. We didn't move, God. We sat still. Father, we confess that to you now because we know that Scripture says that that is actually wrong. So, God, I pray that you would loosen our feet to be ready to run in your direction to be ready to say yes to your opportunities. God, I pray that we would never live with the weight of having had an opportunity to be the Good Samaritan. And instead, we were a Philadelphian who didn't respond. We were a Philadelphian who just said, the cost is too great. And we let that pass by. God, we celebrate the fact that forgiveness comes freely from you, that you have paid the great price that we not have to. And so, Lord, sitting in the place of forgiveness for the things that we confess, now we pray, Lord God, that you would open our eyes, give us Christ-like eyes to see the opportunities around us to do good. I love the fact, Lord God, that it says in Scripture that you saw the crowds, Jesus, and even though your agenda was to go and rest, you saw the crowds and you had mercy upon them. And you, 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 uh, you served them, God. You met their physical and their spiritual needs in that moment, God. You allowed the, 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 the reality of who you are to flow through you and the goodness of God to be expressed that even though your agenda was different in that moment, you accepted the interruption, Lord. Give us eyes to see that and a willingness to go forward doing the same. God, we celebrate who you are we celebrate where you're taking us, and we'll look for opportunities to do good. In Jesus' name, amen.
Three things I want to charge you with to think about as we, uh, as we wrap up this message this morning. First, as we think about how to be neighborly as it comes to doing good, would you ask God to help you get out of your own way? All right? I believe that a lot, a lot of the reason why we don't do good when we have the opportunity is because we get in our own way. We overthink it. We, we come up with a whole lot of ideas in our mind about why we shouldn't, and then we don't. So would you ask God to get out of your own way? Second, would you be humble to the point of serving? I love the fact that who Jesus, the Messiah of the universe, the Messiah of the world, he, he, the Messiah of my life, he, he chooses to be humble to the point of serving, right? Would you, would, you, would you model that in your life? As you look for opportunities to do good, part of doing good means that in a place of humility, you go and serve others. You're going out of your way on behalf of someone else. The third challenge I want to give us is a little, little more difficult. And it's all inward. Would you forgive? Forgive your neighbor. The one that God's asking you to do right for, but you're having a really hard time because you, you, you don't want to forgive. You don't want to let it go. Would you forgive? Would you pursue? And would you bless? Forgive your neighbor. Pursue them the way that Christ would have you pursue them and bless them abundantly. They don't deserve it. They were wrong for how they acted. The things that they've said, where their tree hangs, difficult moments. Would you forgive them? Would you pursue them? And then would you bless them? Remember the story ends with the Samaritan talking to the innkeeper. And what does he say? He says, take care of him for the weekend until I get back. And I'll pay you. I'll bless. I'll fulfill whatever that cost is. Would you forgive them, pursue them, and bless them? Next week, we're going to enter into the last week of this neighborly. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.